1 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 3, Paul writes this. He says, As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. That's a, that, this is the beginning of the letter. It's interesting, isn't it? I, you know, in the Greek, when you see the word certain men, you see that phrase, certain men. Uh, Jesus talked about it. When, when he told the parable, he might say there was a man or, uh, you know, he might, might tell a story. But when he said a certain person, that, he's, he's pointing, he's singling somebody out. And so here he says, uh, there's a certain man, there's certain men, and they're teaching strange doctrines. He says, I want you to warn them, stop doing that. That's a bad idea. He says, instruct these certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they don't understand either what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. So they had blowhards back then just like they do today. We can all be relieved that that's not a 21st century problem. But here's the, here's the issue as I see it, and, and uh, let's, let's just study it out together. But uh, one of the first things, now he's going to talk about a lot in this letter one of the first things he tells Timothy, and Timothy is, is being asked to stay on at Ephesus and, and to help the church in Ephesus because the church is kind of getting a little out of control. And he says, I want you to, to instruct these guys to stop teaching this weird stuff. I don't know if you've heard some weird stuff. I've heard some weird stuff. He says, stop teaching the weird stuff. And he says, also, he says, don't pay attention to myths and endless genealogies because they give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, let's just stop there. And, and, and we've just been told the goal and, and the point of the teaching we receive, the point of, of any uh, word of edification that we get. This is the point of being preached to. It may not be the only point, but it's a big one. Because he says, here's the goal of our instruction. In, in 2015, it is super easy for you to be taught by endless amounts of teachers. It's super easy for you to have a library full of books. In fact, you know, whereas once you could only have as many books as you could fit into your house, now you can store just endless amounts on your device that you carry with you everywhere. You could carry a whole library with you just on your iPad or your, even your phone. Our access to information is unprecedented. You could go on YouTube and, and, and watch somebody teach anything you want to see. This isn't uncommon at all. And it's a good thing. It's a blessing. I, I love having access to all this stuff. To be honest, that, sometimes we spoil ourselves. It, it's so nice to be able to say, uh, to be talking to somebody and they say, you need to get this book and you can get it right away. Now, I encourage you. Um, I say for a good book, if it's a good book, I want to own it in hard copy still. I mean, that, that thinking may go away, but I, I, I 
I will forever be, if it's a good book, I want a hardcover and I want to put it on my shelf. And thank God for verses. I appreciate them because they'll order something in for you. Even if it's a, it's a strange title that's been out of print, they'll figure out a way to get it. And so I like those hardcovers. Now, there's some books, I got to be honest with you. There are some books that some people say, uh, can you tell me what you think about this book? Uh, people have been talking about it and I, I don't know what to think about it. And honestly, I'll just be straight with you. I've, I've just bought the digital copy because I didn't want to see anybody, anybody see me buying it off the shelf. Not that it was inappropriate, but it was just such a wacky book, a wacky doctrine. I didn't want somebody to think, oh, that's what they're preaching over at the Word Church. So I secretly bought it on my iPad and read it and said, yeah, it is a wacky book. Don't read it anymore. Um, but our access is, is huge. We, get to, we, can, we can hear whatever we want to hear. We can read whatever we want to read. Um, and... With that, great power comes great responsibility uh, because you realize that in 2 Timothy, he talks about in the last days, people will heap upon themselves teachers in according to their desires. I don't know if Paul imagined how easy it would be in our day to do exactly that. In the last days, people will heap, amongst, heap to themselves teachers. Well, you know, in his day, you had to invite all these people to come speak to you. Now, you could stay in your little bubble and, and, and for hours until you fall into a coma, you could watch all sorts of, and just hours and hours of, of, of whatever you want. And so it's important that we understand that we need to, we need to monitor our intake. It's like, it's like what you're eating. You can't just... You, know, you can't just eat the same thing every day, some processed, saturated fat food. You can't eat it every day and expect it not to change your growth and not to change the way your body's working. It's important to monitor, what am I taking in? And as a believer, sometimes we rely on our leaders to do this for us, but God has given the responsibility to each and every one of us to say, what am I putting in? Because what I put in will come out. He says, here's a, here's a litmus test that you can apply to it. Let me, let me ask you this question, and this is a question you can apply. Is this further, furthering the administration of God in my life? You say, well, I have no idea what that means. He says, this stuff that you're getting into and people are getting into, he says, it's myths, arguments about genealogies, Endless speculation, and all it does is it gives rise to further speculations. Now, I'm not going to single anybody or any teaching out right now because that's not fair, and you can do that yourself, and you let the Holy Spirit do that. That's, that's not something I'm going to do tonight, but uh, you know and I know that you've probably encountered even this week or this year some, some interesting things that some of your Christian friends might come up to you and say, have you read this book? Have you heard this thing? And, and, and they're talking about some weird little thing that, you know, oh, but you know, if, if you read it this way, then boom, boom, boom. And then this, this number aligns with this. And then this, this with this. And then, whoa, I've come up with a whole new theory about the planet. And, you know, I figured it all out. And you can't prove it by scripture. It's some guy, he says, he's, he says this is the way it is, and he's written a book, or, you know, there's somebody, YouTube is a breeding ground for this weird stuff. I'll tell you, if you want to get a theory, if you want, there are Christian conspiracy theories, and there are secular conspiracy theories. The secular conspiracy theories are all about, like, did we really land on the moon, or who was really behind 9-11, but there are Christian conspiracy theories, and maybe you've run into them. And uh, it doesn't help anybody, it doesn't draw, draw anybody closer to Jesus, but you know what it does? 
It elevates you. I know something you don't know, Eric. I figured it out. I, I got some secret knowledge that you don't have. And it elevates me because I, I'm into it. And you know, it tickles your brain. And there's a part of you that likes, there's a part of us that likes it, likes to just sit on our computer and go, oh, did you know this and did you know that? Most of these things can be dismantled pretty easily when someone actually knows their stuff, but it's, it's entertaining. He says here, here's the problem. It doesn't draw you any closer to Jesus, and it doesn't further God's administration. Now, the, the word here in, in the Greek is economia. That's the word we get economy from, obviously, right? And so if you think about God's economy, the way God does stuff, the, the God's, God's work on the earth, he says all of these little speculations about things that don't matter are not furthering the kingdom of God here. They're not doing anything to build anybody up. In fact, there's, I'll just let you in on something. Depending on what Bible you brought tonight, your Bible might say something a little bit different. Because there are two original Greek texts that we draw from. The King James draws, draws from something called the tes, uh, Textus Receptus. The, some of the New American Standard, ESV, draws from a, a Greek uh, manuscript that we call the Hort Westcott Manuscripts. And so in the, in the version we just read from, it says administration. In the King James, it's, a, it's actually a different Greek word. And it means edification or building up. Now, we could get into one of these endless speculations tonight. We could argue about which one's right. But I think they both go together just fine. I think the administration and the building of God are the same thing. It might be a slightly different Greek word, but it leads to the same destination. Ultimately, is what I'm being taught, is what I'm studying, is what I'm taking in, is it furthering the kingdom of God? Is it building up the body of Christ? Because, and, and here he says, the goal of our instruction, the whole reason we're teaching, the whole goal of our instruction, let's just read that again. The goal of our instruction, verse 5, is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Now, here's the simple question I want to ask you tonight. Is what you're taking in, is what you're being taught, is what you're reading and studying, all of those things are great, but are they leading you to a closer walk with Jesus? Are they inspiring in you a love from a sincere heart, from sound doctrine, from good conscience and a sincere faith? Is what you're hearing bringing you to those things? Because if it's not, if all it's doing is inflating your brain and saying, I know a little bit of something that they don't know, then it's really not doing anything at all. The scripture says that knowledge puffs up but love builds up. You see the difference? And we've asked this question before, but I'll ask it again. What happens to something that gets puffed up? It, it pops, it busts, it, it, it deflates at some point, right? When something is built up, it's going to last, it's going to stand. But when something is puffed up, that's temporary. You know, we've seen the bouncy castles. They're fun. They're around all the time, aren't they? I mean, they, they're making good business this time of year and good for them. I mean, you see it all over the place. But who here would say, I would live in a bouncy castle? I would raise my kids in a bouncy castle. Would you feel secure with that? No, okay. Nobody, you know, if the youth were up here, some smart aleck would raise his hand and say, yeah, he would. But he doesn't know life like you and me. We know more. But you know that wouldn't be secure because it, it's, not, it's not something that's going to last. And here's the point. The love of God 
that is inspired by a relationship with Jesus Christ that comes from that relationship. The Bible says the love of God is poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. That is a foundation you can build on. And he says that's the whole reason we teach you, is that that love would be there, that you would have a good conscience, that you would have a pure heart, that you would have a sincere faith. A sin- sincere comes from a Greek word, which means no, no wax, no fake. It's real. It's genuine. It's pure. It's through and through. And I've started to apply this to my own life. Am I just learning something to entertain myself? Or am I really learning something? And I'm talking about spiritual things. Am I learning something to draw me closer to Jesus? And is it furthering the kingdom of God? We get up here and we could have a guest speaker talk about some little corner of this little thing. And and, and some doctrine that you can't prove or you can't back up. But, you know, it sounds good. And we could all walk out of here going, whoa, my mind blown. But if it didn't draw us closer to Jesus, if it didn't bring us to the love of God, if it didn't further the administration of God, God's economy, if it didn't, if it didn't build the kingdom of God or the body of Christ, we've all wasted our time. In fact, we might have done some damage. This is something that I've got to, because, you know, here I am standing up saying, I'm, I'm teaching tonight. And this is a question I got to ask myself. If he says the goal of our instruction, turn aside from myths, turn aside from speculations about weird little things, turn aside from discussion about genealogies, turn aside from the stupid little issues that don't mean anything, and turn back to the things that are going to build up the body of Christ, turn back to the things that are going to cause that love of God to rise up and you build God's kingdom enhance and and cause to grow the things that God has planted. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't get into more advanced things. You know, the scripture talks about the elementary things, and it says, you know, for a minute, let's let, in Hebrews it says, "Let's, let's just lay aside the elementary things for a while, and let's go into some deep stuff. Sometimes there are deep things and more advanced things that, that uh, the apostle Paul calls wisdom for the mature. But that wisdom for the mature is not an elite, I know something you don't know. It's growing in Christ and it will cause growth. And so if he says the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, that is your litmus test. Is this causing love and a good conscience in my life? Is it causing a sincere faith? Is it causing a pure heart? And he says, some people have turned aside from this stuff. And they've wanted to, they've turned aside to fruitless discussion. We can get aside, and you guys know, some of you have been Christians for a long time. And you know, we could go to a restaurant, we could go to a coffee shop, and sit down and argue for hours about something that doesn't mean anything. And we make ourselves feel good like we know something. But what does he call it? Fruitless. Fruitless. You might say, well, it's not bearing fruit, but it's not causing any harm. But to him and to us, fruitless isn't good. Are my conversations bearing some fruit? Is what I'm studying, is what I'm reading, is what I'm watching, is it bearing fruit in my life? And I want to I encourage you, 
If you are a mature and you've been here for a long time, and I don't mean here as in this church, but you've been born again for a long time and you feel like you know everything, I want to encourage you. Some of those, some of those things you first learned, some of those things you first heard, that the meat of the gospel, God wants to unfold layer after layer so that it becomes richer to you every time you hear it. And I will tell you, and you know this, we sang a song tonight that just said, you are good, good, good. You know, and that's very simple. And, and sometimes you think, well, that's just too simple. That, you know, say something else. But you know, when some of those simple songs become some of the most meaningful songs in your life. They wear a groove in your heart and your soul. And you know, really, that song was written by a young lady who things were falling down around her. Her family was, things were happening and, 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 and this was something, all of a sudden, in a time of worship, God brought her back to the center. And what was left was, you are good, good. And then all this other stuff didn't seem to matter near as much anymore. All of a sudden, it anchored her again to the fact that you are good. Now, this is a mature believer who probably knows a lot of other things. But it's those foundational things that, that in walking them out, in living them out, become so much richer to you, and you understand them on a different level. There are things you were taught the first week you were saved, and you said, I understand it. But I bet if I asked you now and said, do you understand it more than you did then? Many of you would say, yes, I do. And if I were to ask you, what do you understand differently? You might not be able to tell me. Like, it, it, it's like asking somebody, do you know the Lord? And they'd say, yes, I know the Lord. But 50 years from now, I want to know the Lord so much deeper than I know him now. And I might not be able to tell you what that exactly how or what that looks like, but I'll just be able to tell you, you know what? He's richer to me than he was when I first believed. He, he's become more to me than I ever thought he could be. He's more of the center than I thought. I thought, I thought I knew him, but I know him now more and more. Some of you are married. I, I, I know we've talked about this before, but in marriage, I'm all, we're just four years into it. We're not that far along, but four and a half years, right? But I can already say in four and a half years, I feel like, wow, I, did, I thought I loved somebody. But I love her now more than I ever thought I could three years ago. And I'm only four and a half years. Some of you guys are way beyond that. And this is, is so much deeper when we know Jesus. And so he says, you know, stay away from the myths. Stay away from the stupid little discussions about nothing. In chapter four, he comes back to this point a little bit. And he says, <clears throat> He says in verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says, so he's not beating around the bush, explicitly says that in latter times, later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Here we see that doctrine has, has, has had, had a kid. <laughs> the, the teaching that they've received has now led to some strange traditions and rituals which were not from the word of God. And all of a sudden, these, these weird little speculations about things that we didn't really need to talk about to start with, have led to their own doctrines and have led to their own religion. 
And this spirit of religion, because really religion is us, humanity, trying to replicate something that God can only do. And so we try to do it. We try to make these rules. And we try to, to put God in our boundaries so we can explain him. And we try to, to control other people so that they're falling under our definitions. But you can't do it. And so he says, here, there are going to be people that tell you you can't get married. He says, there are going to be people that tell you you can't eat that food. But he says, all things that are created by God are good, and they'll be sanctified by means of the word and prayer. And then he goes on and says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables, only fit for old women. I'm sorry, ladies, uh, what can I say here? I think... I think old men get just as much into this. I think young men, I'll be honest with you, I've had more young men bring weird little discussions to me than anything, but it's probably because I'm a young man. But, you know, this is a, a phrase that they used in his time. It was, it was old, old wives' tale. We kind of, we, we use that phrase now. So he's saying there's stuff that has no purpose in the body of Christ, no meaning. And he says it's just worldly fables. So he was told to stay away from myths, Stay away from fruitless discussion and speculation about things that don't matter. Speculation about genealogies, which was something that applied to them more than it does to us. Because none of us are going to argue about the fact that we think we descended directly from this person or that. That's not our big deal, but it was back then. We have our own issues now. We have our own little fruitless discussions. And we can heap upon ourselves teachers in accordance with our own doctrines. And in these last days, it's easier now than it ever was. But ask yourself, is this furthering the administration of God? Is this furthering the administration of God? Because that's what he says in chapter 1. Those things are not furthering God's administration. They are not building the kingdom. They're not building you up. And they're not leading you to the love of God with a pure heart, sincere faith, and a good conscience. You can apply this to everything. What is this doing in my heart? Pay attention. Because one of the enemy's plans in these days is simply to keep you so distracted with stuff that doesn't matter that you miss the point entirely. And that's what religion will do. That's what dead religion will do. You know, James talks about a pure religion. And he says, pure religion is this. It's looking after the orphans and the widows and in their distress. It's keeping yourself unstained by the world. That's pure religion in the eyes of God. But, but man-made religion, watch what, remember what it did in the Gospels. Remember when Jesus heals a paralyzed man. The paralyzed man gets up. He could not move. I mean, I'm being redundant. You know what paralyzed is. But the guy was completely paralyzed. Jesus heals him. And the Pharisees are focused on the fact that he did it on the wrong day. Well, I'm sorry. The wrong day was a different miracle. This miracle, they're saying, well, how can you say you can forgive his sins? How many times did he heal somebody and, and you did it on the Sabbath? How dare you do that? It's... it's it's man trying to control. You see what they're doing? They're out of control. God's doing something. But they immediately need to get control back. And so they're putting their, they're imposing their religion onto something that God is doing. And fortunately, Jesus doesn't allow it. He, he swats them off. Unfortunately, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes these guys are loudest. 
I guarantee the Pharisees of today would have a Twitter account. Guarantee it. I guarantee they'd be on YouTube bashing this guy and bashing this person. I guarantee it because they're here today. We have them. And, and if we don't watch it, we could be one of these people that, that are so focused on those, those man-made details that we're missing what God is doing. The enemy wants you distracted. He wants you concerned about silly little theories about some scripture that nobody could ever prove. And it makes you feel good because you know something that someone else doesn't know. You know, they had a group of people in, in Bible times in the New Testament, and it's something that comes up in a lot of the letters, and we know them now as the Gnostics, and they were known then as the Gnostics, which comes from the Greek word for knowledge. And one of the things that really defined them is that they believed they had some secret knowledge, that you become part of the club, you, we have something, we have a deeper knowledge, we have, a, we have an elevated version of, of what you know. We've got some secrets. We've got some things that you don't know. And in the book of Colossians, they're really hammered in on. And 1 John, they're hammered in on as well. And that's why 1 John, he keeps coming back to this. He says, if you talk to somebody and they say they know God, but they don't have love, he says they're liars. You see, he's, he's, he's boiling it down to the simple point. These people say they know everything and they prove they know God because they, they can out-talk you. They've, oh, they, they, they rattle off these facts, and they, they, they seem spiritual, but there's no love in their life. He says they're lying. And in Colossians, he says this. He says, you know, he's talking about all these people that claim to have this knowledge, and he says they're taking their stand on visions they say they've seen, and they're, they're talking about all this stuff, and he says, but they're not holding fast to the head. And he says this. He says, all the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. See, because what they were saying is, come to us, we've got wisdom you don't have. We have treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Come to us, we'll teach you some new things. And it entertains your soul. Oh, your mind loves it because all of a sudden, you're being tickled. I'm learning something that other people don't know. But he says, really everything, all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the deep things of God, they are found in Christ also why, and I hate to jump back and forth, but it's also why in 1 John when he's addressing this issue, he says, you guys don't need special teachers who claim that they'll always know something you don't know. He says, don't you know that the anointing that abides within you is able to teach you all things? Have nothing to do with these things. I, I wonder when I read that. He doesn't say don't focus on it. He doesn't say, don't, make, don't, don't major on those things. He says, have nothing to do with them. Stay away from them. What you're taking in is so important in these days. I want you to see what he said to Timothy here. He says, in verse 6, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following. That speaks to me. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, you will be nourished by the words of the faith. I'm telling you, good teaching is going to draw you closer to Jesus. Good teaching is going to reveal Jesus. Good teaching is going to really nourish you. There is stuff that will puff you up for a bit. There's stuff that will make you feel full for a second. But the only stuff that will cause you to grow is that sound doctrine, is that, is that genuine word of God, which is filled with life. Remember when Jesus 
he quoted the, the scripture in the Old Testament when he was challenged by Satan. And Satan said, you know, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn this bread, this stone into bread and eat it? And Jesus responds to him and says, it's written, man will not live by bread alone, but he'll live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you see that he says, man will live by the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I hope you have this relationship with the word of God. I hope you've, you, you have a relationship with the word of God, which is not just a, a knowledge relationship, but it is, it is a true knowledge. It is a feeding relationship. I hope this is nourishing you. Because that's really where the life comes from. This stuff, if, it's, if all it is is an education for you, if all it is, is is a cheap community college class, then you will find yourself bored after a while. You'll, you will, because it, it's not doing anything for you. If all you're doing is just enhancing your knowledge base, at some point you will get greatly bored or you'll get, you'll get burned out or, or something. It, it won't hold the value to you. But don't you find that the people that are going out and using what they've learned, they're so hungry. I find the hungriest people are the ones that are out there using it. These are the ones that are saying, man, it feeds me. It gives me life. I need this. Not just, oh, I want to know something else because I got in an argument with a guy at work. I need some more ammo. We treat the Bible like it's a, it's a legal text just to disprove something when, in fact, in many ways it is a legal text, but it's so much more than that. It's life. And I've... I've had moments in my life, and I, I imagine you could probably identify with this, but I've had moments in my life where there was nothing anyone could say to me that made me feel better. I mean, <laughs> there are cliches, and I know we all mean well. And, 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 and really, the people were well-meaning, and I love them and thank God for them. But, you know, you hear the same things, and you know what they're saying. But you'd open this. Or someone would speak something to you and you'd let it in because it was God saying, you tell them this. Whether it was from a person or was it, whether it was from my own t- time in the Word, there'd be those moments where all of a sudden, a verse I'd read a thousand times came alive to me and raised me up off the floor and stood me on my feet. And I looked at it and I said, I feel like I'm getting energy back. This is life to me. He says, I want you to be constantly nourished. Constantly, there's not a period where you're taking a break. Constantly is not spurts of growth. Constantly nourished means every moment, every day of your life, this is what feeds you. Amen. And there's stuff, guys, you just gotta, you gotta be honest with yourself. In, in this day and age, there are books, there are videos, there are teachings that won't do anything to feed you. But there is the word of God. And there's solid teaching based on that word and solid books based on the word and solid songs based on it and solid conversations with your brothers and sisters that are going to build you up and nourish you when you most need it. Because somebody that's puffed up in a time of distress and a time of trouble, they will pop. But somebody that's built up will survive. Not only survive, but be left standing and be a refuge for somebody else. Jesus said this in John chapter 6. You remember that's when he freaked everybody out and said, you got to eat me and you got to drink me. And people were like, what? You mean crackers and juice, right? No, you got to eat my flesh, drink my blood if you want to be part of me. And uh, he says, does this cause you to stumble? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, Jesus. 
And he says, he says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak to you, listen to that, they are spirit and they are life. It's a lot more than I'm just educating you. It's a lot more than I'm just, I'm making you smarter. What I'm speaking to you right now is going to give you some life. It's going to bring things alive. And I think about those, those men on the road to Emmaus where they talked with Jesus and they said, the stuff that they'd studied since they were kids in the Old Testament all of a sudden came alive to them and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? I want the word to do that in my life. I want it to burn within me. I want it to feel like something is growing on the inside of me. Something is coming alive. Right beneath where Jesus said, my words are spirit and a life, a bunch of people left. And he looks at his disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter responds, and we make fun of him a lot, but I think Peter got some things on a level that the other ones didn't get as fast. Because Peter says the right thing. He says, Lord, where would we go? You hold the words of life. I find that's interesting. He doesn't say the word. He says, you have the words of life. Peter is understanding everything you say to us. I don't get it. Some of the stuff you say weirds me out. Some of it freaks me out. Some of it makes me, I mean, just makes me go, I don't know anything. But for some reason, when I hear you, your word gives me life. You see, I don't think Peter's just talking about a ticket to heaven. He's not just saying, you know, we can't leave you because you're, you're, our, you're our free ride, you know. You're the guy, you're the guy that, that knows us at the door and lets us in past the bouncer. He's not saying that. He says, your words are life to me. And I, I've, I've gotten addicted to it. I can't go anywhere else. You're the guy who has the words of life. My words are spirit and they are life. In him... It's hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want you to make a choice tonight. I want you to make a choice to lay aside the silly little discussions about minor details that don't do anything for the kingdom of God, don't do anything for your growth, and don't further the administration or the edification of God in your life. I want you to turn aside from the things that aren't bearing the fruit that he says it should bear. The point of our instruction is this. Love. From a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. That's the reason we teach. That's the reason we preach. Now, I'll tell you, there are levels, there is deep, there is shallow, there is more. And God will always unfold his truth to you more and more. And it will become deeper and greater. And as you get more mature, there'll there'll be things that you understand now that you didn't understand then. And thank God for it. You'll always be getting revelation on a different level. The more you grow and grow in the Lord, revelation will come. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into more and more truth. But here's a test. As deep as you go. And as much as you discover and as much as you learn and as much as you know, go back to those first verses that you read when you first believed. And here's what should happen, no matter how much you've grown. John 3.16. John 1.1. All of these verses that mean so much and meant so much in a very simple These same verses will somehow still, they'll be even richer now when you read it 30 years down the road than when you first believed. 
Some, I've, I've, known, I've known old men and women that when you talk to them, it's interesting because I, there are some of the, the heroes of the faith that were around, you know, I mean, early 20th century, and, and I've had a chance to get to know some of these people and, and just be in awe of all they've done in their life and all they've learned, and these guys have degrees after degree after the name, and they've, they've done all these things for the Lord, and then you hear them preach. You hear them preach, and often, these guys that know so much and are still doing great things for the Lord, I mean, miracles following them wherever they go, what they preach, though, is so foundational and so simple. I remember being, I, I, was, I was at a, a conference and I was on a panel with two people that I was just did not worthy of being on a panel with. And there was one guy there that had founded, if I were to name the churches, you'd go, oh, I know those churches. Like he, he's founded some of the, the big churches in the United States, founded a major Bible college. And this guy has been through it all. He'd been through these major revivals, done all this. And you know, he gets up and talks about and gets up and talks about the compassion of Jesus being the reason that people are healed, being the reason he does anything he does is because I'm moved, I'm compelled by the love of God. And it was so simple, but somehow hearing it from that guy, it was the, one of the deepest things I've ever heard. And when you begin to understand that the things of God and the things that he will teach you are not to elevate your mind, but to build your spirit. And they will draw you close. And if something's not drawing you any closer to Jesus, you're wasting your time. It's nothing. And it'll make, make you sound smarter than your friends. And it'll entertain you for a while. If you're bored with the word, if you're bored with the stuff you know, that's the canary in the mine. That's the red flag. That's the alert. And it's not the alert like some people say, well, I'm just not growing here anymore. Some people, they blame that on what they're hearing. But so often, it's not where you are. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. But often, it's not where we are. It's, it's where our heart's at. Because I go back to the same verses I've read a million times. And somehow, they're richer to me now than they were then. One of the cool things, and we talked about this when we went through the book of Acts. But that was like a year and a half ago when we started <laughs> And one of the cool things about the early church in the book of Acts is that you see them all of a sudden finding themselves in the Old Testament. When, when they notice they have 11 apostles, they find in the scripture where it says, this one that will betray, another one will take his place. When they stand up on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. They find Jesus and they say, you know, King David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. See, all of a sudden, they're finding themselves and their present situation right in the Old Testament that they've read all their lives. And suddenly they see it for what it is. The Holy Spirit, now that they're filled with that, they, all of a sudden, they are they're, they're realizing things. They're getting revelation about things they never saw before. And I want to ask you something. I, you know, I had, a, I had a father in the faith say this not too long ago. And it's just a, a great old man who, who knows the Lord. And I love those guys. You know, the, the scripture says that he says, I'm writing to you young people because you're strong. But I'm writing to you fathers, and, and I, I'm including you mothers in this too. But he, he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. So we all need those people in our life that have been around for a while, that know the Lord on a level because they've walked it out. 
And this guy said something that just has stuck with me for these months since I heard it. But he said, at any point in your life, whatever you're going through, you should be able to find yourself. And he says, often, you look in the Psalms, you look in the book of Isaiah, and you'll find Jesus there, and you'll find yourself there. And what do you know? It's true. I look, and I remember my wife and I, we had some challenges arise and some things we had to walk through as far as some circumstances, and, and we opened, and boom, there I am. There I am. And it took me, and what's so wonderful is no matter what your circumstance is, you will find your situation there, but it doesn't leave you there, does it? See, you can get an old country song that, that finds you in your situation, but it will leave you in your situation. It will, it will set up a tent in your situation and put up curtains, you know? This is our, you know, it, you, you'll, you'll just, just stay in it for, for days, but if you've ever read the Psalms, there are times where you identify with that. I'm yeah, at the low place he finds himself in, but all of a sudden he says, he moves on and, he, and you see him begin to realize and, and sing about who God is and who about the Lord is in his life. And by the end, he says, my soul will bless you. Surely you will lift me up above my circumstances. Surely you will yet deliver me. That's just what Jesus did. He came down right into our circumstances, and he found us where we were. That's why in Hebrews it says he's the perfect high priest. He's the perfect high priest because he is able to sympathize with you. He knows where you're at, but he will not leave you where you're at. Jesus came down and became one of us, not so he could forever stay like one of us, but so that we could be like him. He didn't jump into the mud so he could stay in the mud, but he did jump in the mud so he could lift you out of the mud. And he's in the mud with you, and he will yet deliver you from that mud. What's the point? The point is this. Those words and that word of God that you're being taught, that you're reading, that you're singing, it matters. It's life. It should be life to you. It should be so much more than education. It should be so much more than theories and speculations. I, I, too, have those little speculations. I've got my own theory about what Nathaniel was thinking under the tree. But I've never preached it. I'll tell you why. It's just a theory. There's no life in that. Find what brings life. Find what draws you to Jesus. Find what furthers the administration and the edification of God in your life. And stay away from dumb little speculations that don't lead you to anything. I'm speaking to you as brothers and sisters. I'm speaking to you as somebody who could go home tonight, look up 15 YouTube videos, and be absorbed all night with something that won't bring you any further in your walk with God. And I'm talking about Christian videos. I'm talking about people preaching at you. But it's about this little, little thing that they got a theory about. Theories are fine. But be nourished on the words of the faith and on sound, good doctrine. What you're hearing matters. What you're reading matters. What you're watching matters. What you're intaking matters. And I tell you this because the world needs people of God who are prepared to stand when the going gets tough, when the going is good. They stand. They walk out. And as the scripture says, like, like stars in a dark place, they hold fast the word of life. Holding forth the word of life in a dark place in which we shine as stars in the universe. That's who we are. The world needs you. 
needs you to be full of faith, needs you to be built up in the faith, needs you to be strong, needs you to be alive, needs you to find yourself in the book again, needs you to say, this gives me life, this nourishes me, this excites me, this wakes me up, because if it's not doing that, you're wasting your time, and you're hardening your heart. But I know God has prepared better things for you. Amen. Let's stand up together and pray. Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for your word. Your word is so rich to us. It's spirit. It's life. It's raised us from the dead. You've raised us from the dead. There are things you've said to us that found us in our darkest place and stuck with us and brought us through. There are things that you said to us that brought us back on the right path when we got off track. There are things you said to us that woke us up brought things to life that we thought were long gone. Lord, we ask you today that we would see your word for what you see it, that we truly have a hunger and a thirst for your, for your word. And that, Lord, we wouldn't be just distracted by things that don't matter. Little discussions about theories and speculations that just further fruitless discussions, but don't further the kingdom. Deliver us from our own uh, petty arguments that we would look for you and find you. I thank you, Lord, that you're drawing us deeper and deeper. We're, we're learning stuff we didn't know. We're, we're getting more revelation on things we didn't understand. I know that. But thank you, Lord, that it's your Holy Spirit doing that. And you're building it on a good foundation. Not simply puffing us up, but building us up. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.